Now in 2008, the internet was captivated by the story of Edward Owens. As the story goes, Edward Owens was the last American pirate in history. And we all like stories of pirates. They say that Owens wasn't born into that way of life. He was actually a respectable member of society, a businessman. He, uh, he owned an oyster fishing business. He had a family. Good guy. But hard times came for his business during an economic depression in the 1870s. So, in order to feed his family, he gathered together a crew of miscreants and they terrorized the Chesapeake Bay in Maryland in order to rob rich boaters. Then when things became favorable for business again, he, he left his life of crime, moved on like nothing had ever happened, wrote a record of his adventures, and it was found over a century later. Then the story appeared online. So the story goes. And it was so captivating that it didn't take long for history teachers, professors, graduate students, news organizations to hear about the story and start talking about it. It was, it was a fascinating story after all. But that was the problem. It was just a story. It was a fake story. It was a story that was created by a group of students at George Mason University who were all in a class titled, Lying About the Past. They were instructed by their professor to create a historical hoax. So they created Edward Owens. They posted about him online. They created a detailed Wikipedia page about him that fooled a lot of people. Now eventually the professor, he came out and revealed the hoax. It caused a lot of people to wonder how long this could have gone on before anyone found out. Of course, this is why teachers told us in school that Wikipedia is not an acceptable resource for research papers. Some people are nodding their heads. They already knew that. And that's because, look, Wikipedia can be edited by anybody, regardless of their credentials. And so most people would agree that it's reasonable not to believe everything written on Wikipedia. Church, I'm sure that many of us know that there are a lot of people in this world who have a similar mindset about the, the Bible. There are many people in the world who think it's reasonable not to believe anything written in the Bible. And they'll say that the Bible can't be trusted, that it's just a bunch of fables and fairy tales, myths written by a random collection of strangers put together for weak people. How do we respond to accusations like that, believers? Does hearing things like that shake our faith? Now, as Christians, we do believe that, unlike Wikipedia, the Bible is entirely true. Don't we? If you were here last week, you know that we recently ended our study in the book of Romans. And before we begin studying another book of the Bible, we're going to begin a topical sermon series called Why I Believe In. This is a series we've done before, but we're going to have some new topics this time. You see, there are a lot of things that as Christians we say we believe in, but do we know why? Why do we believe in the importance of baptism and communion and the priesthood of believers? Do we actually believe in these things, and do we know why they matter? This series isn't about why Andrew believes in these things, but about why we as Christians believe in these things. And my prayer, church, is that every week we can leave here saying with confidence, this is why I believe in this truth. And this morning we're going to kick our series off with why I believe in the Bible. 
And we're going to look at three reasons that as Christians, we can have great confidence in our faith in the Bible and why we should give great priority to the Bible in our lives. So to do this, we're going to jump around to a lot of different passages in the Bible. I encourage you to follow along and keep up. We're going to start in 2 Peter chapter 1. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn there with me, 2 Peter chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, I'm going to encourage you to use one of those Bibles under the seats in front of you. If you'd like to use one of those, you can turn to page 984. Page 984. 2 Peter chapter 1. As we get ready, I also want to start by uh, letting everyone know, in case you're unfamiliar with any of these terms, throughout our time today, I'm very likely going to use the terms Bible, Scripture, and Word of God interchangeably. Synonyms. Okay, I'm talking about the Bible when I mention these. So keep that in mind. 2 Peter chapter 1. We're starting verse 16 together. It says this. It says, For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. Now keep your place right there in 2 Peter chapter 1. Church, the first reason why we believe in the Bible is because the Bible is accurate. And Peter gives us some of the reasons why we can be confident about this. First, he tells these Christians he's writing to that they're not being taught cleverly devised stories. This isn't made up. Uh, these are not fairy tales or fables. How do we know that? Well, because Peter and his fellow apostles, they were eyewitnesses of the Lord's ministry. Peter was there when Jesus was transfigured before them on the mountain. He heard the voice of God confirm that Jesus is the Son of God. You can read about that in Matthew chapter 17. Peter was there. Just like Peter was there in the house when Jesus appeared to his disciples after rising from the dead. Peter was an eyewitness. Just as many of the authors of Scripture were eyewitnesses of what they recorded. Now I'm aware that some critics will just say, yeah, and those apostles are a bunch of liars. He's lied about the things that they claim to see. When people say that, we should really stop and ask, yeah, but why would they do that? I mean... People will lie for protection, or power, pleasure, position. They'll lie for money. But the apostles, they were hated. They were hunted. All of them but John were killed for what they believed and taught. No one goes through that to knowingly defend a lie. But scripture is not a lie. It's God's truth to us. As Christians, we believe that the Bible is true. As Christians, we believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. Now, what we mean by that is we believe that the original written manuscripts of the Bible were perfect and without error. Well, this is where the critic would come in and say, yeah, but you don't have the original documents of Scripture. They've been lost to history. We don't even know that these are the words of Peter. Somebody could have just changed them over time. But church, archaeology is an incredible thing. There are over 25,000 manuscripts 
that have been found of copies of New Testament passages, including many manuscripts that are from the 2nd and 3rd centuries A.D. So even though we don't have the original copies of the Bible, the many copies that we do have, including those very close to the originals, well, all the copies are in harmony with each other. What's that show us? That shows us how accurately these things have been preserved. Well, let me put the timing of all that in perspective for you. Show of hands, how many people learned about Alexander the Great in school? Three, a lot of us, okay. A lot of us learned about him. He was an incredible military leader. We heard about his, his adventures, all the things that he did. Well, here's the thing. The main, the main historical sources we have on Alexander the Great were written 300 to 500 years after his death. But the world accepts these. We have far more manuscript copies of New Testament passages, far closer to the time of Jesus and the disciples, but the world doesn't want to accept those. My point is this. Archaeology has proven time and time again that the record of Scripture has been meticulously and accurately passed down. See, Peter was right. These aren't some cleverly devised stories. If they were, those would have been changed over time. No, the Bible, Scripture, Scripture is much more than that. So Peter went on. He said this in verse 19. He said, we also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. And you will do well to pay attention to it. As to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. Stop right here for a second. Peter says that prophecy also shows the accuracy of, of Scripture. Peter reminds us that the prophecy of Scripture is not the invention of men. The proof is in the fact that it's completely reliable. Countless Old Testament prophecies were fulfilled. Uh, prophecies like the prophecy in, in Nahum chapter 3, that Nineveh was going to fall. The prophecy in Daniel chapters 8 and 11, how Alexander the Great's kingdom would be divided into four parts. Of course, skeptics will try and claim that you know, all these things were written long after the fact. That'll be their excuse for these. But they have a lot more difficulty saying that with Jesus. You see, many of the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled, like where he was going to be born, well, those prophecies could have been researched, debated, and debunked by the contemporary uh, opponents that Jesus had, but they weren't. In the end, there are so many prophecies about the Messiah in the Old Testament that Jesus fulfilled, including things like where he would be born, when he would be born, what his lineage would be, how he would be born, how he would die, that he would rise from the dead, and on and on and on. That the probability of anyone fulfilling, even a fraction of these, was calculated, and it was found the odds of somebody being able to fulfill these would be 1 in 10 to the 17th power, or 1 in 100 quadrillion. Fulfilled prophecy shows that the Bible can't be a collection of the random, misguided thoughts of men. It must be something more than that. That's why Peter said this in verse 21. He said, for prophecy never had its origin in human will. But prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy 
Spirit. So why is biblical prophecy 100% accurate? Why is the Bible perfect in its original form? It's because these things weren't the inventions of man. As Peter explained, the prophets spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. As 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says, which we will look at in a few minutes, Scripture is God-breathed. It's from Him. This is the most important reason why we believe in the Bible, Christians. It's because these are not the words of men. These are the words of God given to men. God carried all these writers along, inspiring them to write exactly the truths that he desired for them to. But we can't continue on without, of course, addressing, at least in part, one of the favorite arguments that skeptics of the Bible will bring up. Uh, they'll mock the Bible and say things like, yeah, well, if God is all-knowing, and if the Bible is so accurate, then why is the Bible so anti-scientific, they'll say. Now, first, it is good for us to remember the Bible is not a science textbook. That's not its purpose. However, I would like to point out that in the areas where it addresses scientific things, it has never been proven wrong. In fact, over time, it continues to be proven right. But let me give you an example. Uh, one of the other things critics will mock the Bible for is for the worldwide flood described in the book of Genesis, the flood of Noah's day. They'll say things like, you silly Bible thumpers, there's not enough water in the world for that. So it could never have happened. Now, despite the fact that marine fossils have been found high up on mountains, like in the Himalayas, the critics have dismissed that as evidence of high floodwaters. But in very recent years, there's been an interesting scientific discovery taking place. Not too long ago, a rare diamond was found in Brazil that had come up from deep within the earth. And this diamond contains a mineral called ringwoodite. Ringwoodite. And ringwoodite is made up of 1.5% water molecules. Isn't that great? Let me tell you why it's great. You see, scientists believe that ringwoodite is so prevalent in the Earth's mantle, more than 200 miles under the surface, that the amount of water possibly stored there is equal to or greater than all the water on the surface of our planet. Now, why does that matter? Well, what was that thing that the Bible said about the flood in Genesis chapter 7, verse 11? It said, on that day, all the springs of the great deep burst forth. My point, believers, is that, look, science will catch up to the Bible eventually. But these things don't surprise us as Christians. We know and believe that the Bible is accurate because these truths come from God. In Isaiah chapter 46, God said this. He said, I am God, and there is no other. I am God, there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. Church, we believe in the Bible because it is accurate, and it is accurate because it comes from God. But there's a whole lot more. So if you're following along your Bible, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 5. If you're using one of those Bibles from under the seat in front of you, you can turn to page 787. Page 787. Matthew chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 17, and since we're jumping into the middle of a passage here, I want to let you know that Jesus is speaking. 
Jesus is speaking, and this is what he says. Matthew 5, verse 17. He said, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now, Jesus made a lot of things clear about the Bible during his earthly ministry. He confirmed the historical truth and accuracy of accounts like uh, Jonah and the large fish, or the death of Abel, the creation of man and woman by God, the life of King David, the Queen of Sheba's visit to King Solomon, and much more. But it wasn't just that Jesus confirmed the historical accuracy of the Bible, he also confirmed the authority of the Bible. When Jesus was talking about the law and the prophets, he was referring to all the written scriptures of their day, which is what we now refer to as the Old Testament. All those words that God gave to the prophets, all those commands found in God's law, all the truths in scripture, all these still stand. They won't pass or fade away. They won't lose their significance and relevance because of our society's lust for sin. Jesus didn't come to abolish the scriptures. Church, that means the Old Testament's still important, by the way. Instead, Jesus fulfilled it. He fulfilled the scriptures in his teaching, in his living, in his fulfillment of prophecy, in the very nature of who he is. Jesus is the fulfillment of scripture. But, but if scripture is wrong, well, then that means Jesus is wrong. And if Jesus is wrong, well, then that means our faith is wrong. And if our faith is wrong, then we are simply miserable souls. But these aren't wrong. And Jesus, God in the flesh, made it clear that the authority of Scripture will not come to an end. Church, the second reason why we believe in the Bible is because it is authoritative. Jesus confirmed its authority, and he confirmed that it's lasting. He said that his followers who are faithful to obey what is found written in it will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. But you see, Scripture is only worth obeying and following if it's from God. That's what gives it such authority. So what a pity today that so many professing Christians brush aside the authority of the Bible. They try and take the world's view. They, they say that well, the Bible doesn't really matter. It's just a dusty old book. It's irrelevant for our lives. That's why there are so many people, by the way, who you wouldn't guess they were Christians if they didn't claim to be one. Because there's no evidence of that in their lives. There's no fruit of righteousness to show that. And how could there be? Well, they've ignored God's word, and therefore they've ignored God's commands. We believe in the Bible because it is authoritative, and it's authoritative because the Bible comes from God. Those who don't follow its authority, they aren't following God. By the way, this is also why there are so many professing Christians who don't know how to respond to the craziness of our world. 
Let me explain what I mean. Let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 3 together. If you're following along, go ahead and turn there. 2 Timothy 3. If you're using one of those Bibles from under the seat in front of you, you can turn to page 964. Page 964, 2 Timothy 3. This is one of Paul's letters to his young protege, Timothy. And in this chapter, Paul warned Timothy about what things would be like leading up to the return of Christ. How people would be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, be disobedient, ungrateful, unforgiving. Go read the chapter at home. You'll see a good description of our society. Then Paul told Timothy this. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. He said, In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Look, the most important thing that everyone in this world needs is salvation, the forgiveness of sin, rescue from hell, and the guarantee of a home in heaven. But this only comes through faith in Jesus Christ. And where is that truth found? It's found in the Bible, in the Holy Scriptures. And for those of us who have found that truth and accepted it, as we continue in Scripture, we start to find that, well, the Bible, it's, it's useful for teaching rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness. God's Word is how we will be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In other words, the third reason why we believe in the Bible is because it has the answers we need for this life, believers. The Bible has the answers we need. Now understand, the Bible may not specifically address every sin and situation that we encounter. But in the Bible... We find the truths that we need to fight every sin and navigate every situation that we encounter in this life. You see, Christians who are grounded in the Bible aren't confused by our world's ever-changing and always confusing gender definitions because we know what Genesis 1 says, that from the beginning God created them male and female. Christians who are grounded in the Bible aren't swept up in this race-baiting culture of ours because we know the truth of Revelation chapter 7, that the family of Christ is made up of a great multitude that no one can count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, who will worship God together in heaven one day. Christians who are grounded in the Bible, they don't struggle with where they stand on abortion because we agree with the psalmist that each child is knit together in their mother's womb fearfully and wonderfully made. Christians who are grounded in the Bible know where they stand on issues of sexuality and greed and the treatment of people and the addictions of this life because we know what God's Word says. It has the answers and it has the wisdom we need so we would be thoroughly equipped for every good work, believers. This is how the psalmist put it in Psalm 19. 
He said, the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They're more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They're sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned, in keeping them there is great reward. As Christians, we believe that in the Bible are found the truths we need in order to live a godly life. We don't need to look to the government or to our society or to our culture or to some priest or pious person to tell us the truth. God's word is truth. I like how the Baptist Faith and Message 2000, which is the, the doctrinal statement of faith held by Southern Baptist churches like ours, I like how it talks about the Bible in that statement of faith. It says this. It says that the Bible is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. And that it is the supreme standard by which all human conduct, creeds, and religious opinions should be tried. Church scripture has the answers for what we should believe and for how we ought to live. Uh, this was a key truth during the Protestant Reformation. It became known as sola scriptura. That scripture alone is the supreme authority in the Christian life. Because in it we find God's instructions to us. And Martin Luther, that famous Protestant reformer, he demonstrated his belief in that truth. One day when he stood trial, he was ordered to recant all his teachings. Certainly his teachings is against the Roman Catholic Church. And Martin Luther famously said this. He said, unless I am shown by the testimony of Scripture, by evidential reasoning, he went on to say, I cannot and will not recant anything, for it's neither safe nor right to act against conscience. Here I stand. God help me. Amen. And like Martin Luther, Christians believe the Bible because it is the truth and it has the answers for life because the Bible is from God. First Baptist Church, here's the thing. We have evidence like the Edward Owens hoax that shows that Wikipedia should be approached with a healthy amount of skepticism, just like anything written by fallen, fallible people. But the Word of God is different because it didn't come from the minds and designs of fallen, fallible people. It came from God. That is the chief reason why we believe in it. I like how Paul said it to the Christians in Thessalonica. He said this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. He wrote to them and said, We also thank God continually, because when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is, the Word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. 
We believe in the Bible because we accept by faith that it has been given to us by God. And in the greatness of his grace, God allows the evidence to pile up year after year that confirms what our faith has already known, that the Bible is accurate, it is authoritative, and it has the answers that we need in this life. First Baptist Church, here's the truth for us this morning. Believers, if we believe in the Bible, then we will stand firm on it, we will follow it, and we will fall on our knees and praise God for it. That's true if we believe in the Bible. We will stand firm on it, we will follow it, and we will fall on our knees and praise God for it, no matter what the world says or does. So as we prepare to close, as Christians, we need to decide whether or not we're going to commit ourselves to the Bible. To invest in studying it so that we would know the truth of God to us. To looking to it when we encounter those temptations, those situations in life, because there is found the wisdom and the answers that we need. And believers, we need to praise God for it. We're going to have an opportunity to do these things in just a minute, but before we do, if you're here and Jesus Christ is not your Savior, the most important truth for you to understand from God's Word is that only Jesus can rescue you from your sin. You need to understand what Jesus said. In John chapter 14, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. In other words, you cannot get to God by your own designs, your own works. The things that you do, what you accomplish in this life, will not get you there. Because the problem is that we've sinned. We've broken God's commands. And we can't make that right. Only Jesus could rescue us from our sin and from the penalty for it, which is hell. Jesus came and died on the cross to pay that penalty. He powerfully rose from the dead, and he stands in heaven right now, waiting to forgive you of all your sins. The Bible says that whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And if you have never done that, please understand you can do that before you leave. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you today for the greatness of your word. Because for those of us who are your children, who have given our lives to Jesus Christ, we already knew that the Bible was incredible. Because in it we found the truth that set us free from sin and hell. So help us not to fall into that mindset that now that we're saved, we can abandon your word. As though it's no longer important for us. Now teach us, teach us the greatness of your word. How important it is to dive into the Bible each and every day so that we would know how it is that we can live a life that would please you. I thank you for your incredible grace that you would reveal so much evidence in archaeology and history and science. We didn't need it because we believe in you. We believe in your word. It's an incredible thing when you reveal all these things to us. Every time that we see these things, we should just fall on our knees and praise you, so help us to do that. I pray that we would be a church that takes seriously the Bible in our lives, so that we would be a church that's growing in spiritual maturity, so that we would grow closer to one another as we're growing closer to you. And Father, if there's anybody here who's never given their life to Jesus Christ, who doesn't know that they know that they know, that when this life is over, they're going to be with you forever. 
I pray they wouldn't go another moment without receiving the forgiveness that you offer. I pray that right now, they would go to Jesus in prayer, admit that they are sinners, confess that they believe He died on the cross for them and rose from the dead, and that they would give their life to Him. And Father, if there's anyone who's still not sure, please move in their heart that they would come and talk to me during this final song. Father, we love you. But you have proved time and time again to your people that you love us more. Help us never to forget that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.